Hello and welcome to the Glasgow University Marketing Society podcast. And your host today is Konstantin von Stackenberg. I know, for me as well. No, 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 no I'm joking, I'm a bad so I don't have to. I, I, you know, I have to give you intelligent answers. Oh, so who's got the scariest one? You can't ask the intelligent questions, questions come first. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Stephen Surgeon, the commercial yeah. and market. Like I actually had a sturgeon in my school. The guy named Sturgeon. Oh, I thought you meant the fish. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I where, where was your school then? <laughs> in South Africa. Ah, yeah. right. Yeah, that was yeah. a Nick Sturgeon or something. So we get everywhere. I think there's one in Scottish politics as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, but it's an English, like it's an English school, so ah, I guess right. maybe it's English. Sure. Yeah. Right then, far away. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so should we? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's a pleasure to have you here, of course, uh, Mr. Sturgeon. <laughs> right. Great. Um, so the commercial and marketing director of the East India Company. That's right. Yeah. Um, maybe to start off with, it'd be great to hear a little bit about yourself, like uh, where you've been, what you've mm-hmm. done, um, how you've gotten to where you are today. I guess. <laughs> well, I think the, la- the last thing I would say is probably by accident. <laughs> by That's how I got here. I think. Yeah. I, I tend to sort of describe my career in three parts. There's the first part, which was. I spent pretty much most of my time early years at British Airways. Where British I, Airways. Yeah, yeah, where I okay. went in as a management trainee, uh, went overseas, worked in sales and marketing. I lived in the Middle East, Malaysia, Russia, wow. which was great. Yeah, no, it was a great experience in terms of just learning how to work in different countries, work with multiculturals, uh, societies, and you know, just that. And then I came back, worked in the head office in charge of global marketing. Um, and then the next chunk of my career was more marketing services. So I went on the agency side of things, worked for Ogilvy, uh, which was a great experience. And it kind of helps us be a better client because you can see how to manage with agencies. I worked in media as well. Then I moved into media to work for a magazine. And right then we were at the forefront of, uh, it was called the New New Media Frontiers Team. You know, and if you look at it now, you guys would be horrified. You know, when we were talking about a very basic digital, you know, we had dial up and you had that. Uh, And then the last chunk of my career is probably mostly in the drinks business, the Diageo, William Grants, uh, Bern Stewart, C.O. Wilbur and and Distel. Uh, And at the moment, as you say, working for the East India Company, um, which I've known the owner, it's a private company, I've known the owner for a while, so I said, you know, you, you need some help sorting your products out. So that's how I got into the East India Company. So you kind of always had a passion for for the the drinks business then, or? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. I always, uh, I also feel like that. <laughs> I was going to say one wonders how to answer that question. Yeah. Drinking responsibly has always been a that's passion always of mine. Passion, okay. yeah, yeah. I always drink for enjoyment. Though, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> to be sociable. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah, yeah. that's how it's supposed to go. <laughs> I also heard something. Well, I read. I read your LinkedIn beforehand. Yeah. I actually did some research, um, and I saw a football club that you also managed or something. Oh, oh God, yeah, no, yeah going, going back in my early days, yeah, I have. A, I, you know, there's a number of passions I have, and uh, I got two boys who are now big boys, grown up. Okay. Um, but at the time they were growing up uh, in their early days, they loved football, okay. and uh, I used to take them to the, you know, to the, the local club, and. Um, 
I got was shouting from the sideline like most parents do, you know, living vicariously through my children. And somebody said, if you can do better than me coaching, do so. So uh, I decided that I would do coaching. So that's how it came about. Um, so I started coaching. I got all my badges. So I'm actually a football association qualified coach, but only junior level up to about okay. 11. But that's... Juniors, well, yeah, so yeah, it, it, it was fun, it was fun, and then uh, one of my boys decided he wanted to continue football, one didn't, so I gave it up in the end, which was a bit sad. I've still got my boots though, <laughs> I'm still hoping to play five a side football every now and then. Yeah, they always, that's what I do, I love that <laughs> <laughs> best part of my week, I, I think. Yeah. yeah, so I guess all your, all your stories are a little bit lucky, um, like not lucky success stories, but like you just got to. Yeah, got to the places I, I, out of pure, I don't know, luck isn't probably the right word, Pro, both luck and <laughs> talent, I guess. I think you're right. I, 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 there are people, you know, who carve a career out and who say, you know, I want to do this, I want to follow a, a traditional yeah. career. And I remember early on in my life, you know, talking to headhunters and recruiters, they would all be saying, you know, you don't follow a classic marketing career, you've not been, you know, either classically trained with Unilever and Proctors or Mars and gone up that way. So I have always done things slightly differently. Yeah, I, I don't think... Um, uh, you ask my wife and she'll tell you definitely that uh, you know I, if I can do it the bad way or the wrong way or the hard way then I probably will yeah it's it's been more it's been less planned and more serendipity well okay but yeah. I but I've I've been driven by a couple of passions one I love brands I, I just love building brands That's okay I love building brands that lead to business success and I like being and developing people although Anderson might tell you differently to any one of those three <laughs> That's that's pretty assuring to hear for us, I guess. <laughs> Very reassuring. Um, I guess that's also how I want to kind of live my life. Well, I, stumble I, upon ideas. Yeah. That's well, I, I mean, you, today is all about per, uh, portfolio management. Yeah. You know, when, when I was when I started off, which was a very long time ago. In fact, it was just bef just we were transitioning from candles to electric. Now I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> the, the, the there was very much. It was very prescribed. You, you know, you were you had to more or less stay in a business and go up through the ranks, and it was almost expected of you. You know, moving around. Fast forward to today, you know, and you know, it's all about movement. It's about you know, yeah. speed, and uh, you want to move on. You want to experience different things. I mean, again, just the simple, the most bizarre thing is when I went at BA when I went internationally. Um, and they said, "Oh, you can't go international. That'll be the end of your career." <laughs> I mean, now look at it today. You know, if you don't, if you haven't worked in or lived in different markets, you're not going to do anything. Yeah, well, that's so just how it's changed. Yeah. I guess you can't really be successful if you don't do that. Oh God! You have to. You have to live internationally. You've got. Yeah. To, you've got to experience different it. cultures, different ways of life. It's so critical. Yeah, I found yeah. that as well. Like, living in different countries is really. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You, makes you kind of know mm. what people want I guess that's why brand brand management is <laughs> probably also a great market to be in and I mean the East India company I, we, we actually looked at the logo and we yeah. thought well that's a really cool logo it looks yeah, like yeah, yeah. Where, where does that well the East India company that I work for is the original British East India it company it is actually the, okay. and it goes back to the Royal Charter in 1600 so Queen yeah. Elizabeth I created no, okay, wow. and we actually this will be interesting for anybody with a Dutch connection uh, <laughs> The, the Brits were second in the market to the Dutch, who uh, had the Dutch West Indies uh, uh, East India Company, and what they discovered was that the East Indies were full of exotic uh, 
botanicals and rare spices and things like yeah. that were making a fortune because at the time nutmeg was worth more than gold no. and the Dutch were creaming all this in and the Brits, British government said hang on we want some of this action and so five ships went off to the East Indies down to East India and came back laden with uh, nutmeg and stuff like that and that's where we started getting into trouble with pirates and the, the all, the, all the rest that's where the rest uh, of the history comes in so it's, it's a fascinating history and to go back to your to your um, point about the logo the logo is made up of um, a number of components one is the sail because okay. everything was shipped uh, you know they yeah. were the original global trading company if you think about it as well you know uh, you know they were bigger than Google and, and, and Facebook at its time they were sure. bigger than any kind of company um, so the part of the thing they had to do was to have a chop a stamp that said you know this is if, if this is we're as good as our word and you know if people couldn't read English and things that stamp that chop was the mark of you know you'll get paid as it were so the heart was obviously the commitment so the shape of the heart was okay, to say I thought, it, I thought it was a nut or a fruit yeah, but no, okay, yeah. the heart well, yeah. it, it, so it's, it's literally the sailing boat the heart and then the initials of the East India Company okay go, yeah so it is it's if you like a contemporary version of the original but the original was literally you know this is our stamp and um, if, if you've got that on a piece of paper then payment's guaranteed that makes sense and, well and and to help the payment process along, by the way, they then made, created their own currency, which was called cash, which was a corruption of Tamil or a couple of Indian dialects. So they were really smart because then what they said is, if you want to trade with us, you have to use our money. So they had their own currency. They had their own stamp of approval. Um, and that's how they That's started. That's really interesting. Yeah, wow. it's a great story. It is. It's a great story to have for it company because I also read something about a malaria like the bitter part of tonic I always wondered why tonic is actually bitter and why people enjoy it so mm. much it's yeah of, it's kind of strange it's always like a strange drink that people mm. like but I mean it's delicious um, and it's something that protects you from malaria yeah, absolutely that well that's one of the because re- East India Company started off product about as I say it was it's now owned by an Indian who bought the rights to it okay. back in the turn of the millennium. And the, the business originally was constituted around fine foods. So teas, obviously, being tea, East India Company brought tea to Britain, coffee, spices and herbs, and he, he wanted to launch a gin. And you immediately said, well, why, what's the connection between the East India Company gin? Which comes back to your story, your, your question, which is, at the time uh, in the 1800s, um, malaria was rife in Africa and India, and everybody was given um, quinine, which is yeah. the chinoa bark, um, to chew. So it was a piece of wood bark, to yeah. chew to, to get rid of malaria. But the officers um, decided, that, or an officer decided, that it would be much better if he put his uh, ration of uh, quinine, quinine in, 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 in with some lime, sugar, and soda. And he thought, well, why, maybe I'll just put a splash of gin in it as well. And that that's how the gin better, yeah. and I think, <laughs> and I, then I think um, Jakob Schweppes, about 80 years later, put carbonated water around but that's how the gin and tonic came so it was an officer in madras in around 1825 we can't be too sure uh and then it just spread through all the officers mess the poor old rank and file soldiers had to keep taking the, the rubbish bitter um tasting quinine and then of course it went over to africa 
So uh, to all Gloucester students, I guess drink more gin tonic on your on your exotic holidays. That's yeah, that's the yeah, <laughs> the, end of the story, I guess. It's perfect. As soon as you start to realize, you know, if there's a malaria alert in Glasgow, gin and tonic. Gin tonic. Responsibly, responsibly. But the company also they have a lot like of cocktails and things that they also I don't know. It it felt like when I read the mm-hmm. um, or when I saw the website that. A lot of what you guys are trying to do is incorporate your gins into cocktails. Yeah. Um, I and think also tea. I also saw yeah, like good no, cocktails absolutely. with tea. And then, well, when, um, it, when it was, I mean, it's been, been launched about 18 months, and I think it fell into the trap of um, trying, to, trying to find its own positioning through associations with cocktails. So that's why you see a lot of the current, we're changing the website, and a lot of the moment the recipes on the website are all cocktail-based. And that fundamentally missed the, the, the brand truth that the East Indian Company has credi- has the right to talk about gin, not only because of the gin and tonic, but actually it was the, the first boats that were bringing back botanicals to London that created the first gins, and Gin Alley and all those horrors. So I think one of the things that I've been involved in is kind of moving that positioning away from trying to associate yourself with a fashion and say, look, there's some real brand credentials here, and it goes right, right back in history, 400 years in a bottle. Um, the other side of the coin, so we're moving away from fancy cocktails, so you still have classic cocktails, so the Negroni and yeah. things like that. But one other thing, I've got a brilliant brand ambassador. He's a, a classic mixologist. He's trained, trained in Switzerland and France, and he's been in all the top bars. And, you know, I put the challenge to him. Why are we doing gin cocktails when we are ostensibly a company that's founded its reputation on tea? So yeah. why don't we create the definitive G and T, as in T-E-A. And so he actually went away and has created this most stunning drink. The trouble is I can't find a way of bottling it yet because okay. it's a, it's a, such a great Difficult. recipe. Is that is that kind of your next step though? Is to bottle it, bottle a oh, cocktail. I'd love to bottle that's, it. It would make yeah. That's yeah. That's something that's kind of missing from the market. I yeah. Think. Well, absolutely. Just, and, and and he's done such a good job. I mean, he's basically it's a quintessential glass of Britain because you've got gin <laughs> and you've got tea. I mean, you want more, and it oh. tastes pretty good too. My favorite, my favorite hotel. In South Africa, actually has uh, has a gin and rooibos drink, which yeah, kind of yeah, reminds me of that. Yeah, probably, yeah. it's probably quite similar. Yeah, um, we used um, an Earl Grey tea. Yeah, that's English. classic yeah, English. Same yeah. thing, rooibos. England and the cocktail. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Is yeah. it also? It's a dry London gin, then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. What does that exactly mean again? Yeah, it's it's quite interesting at how people get carried away with this. Ostensibly, the definition is dry. Uh, a London gin has to two things one it has to be predominantly juniper which is pretty much true for all gins yeah but it's also part of distillation it has to be distilled up to 96 degrees oh 96 degrees so it's basically the combination of the juniper and the distilling gives it a very unique taste mm-hmm. whereas the rest of gin you know you can flavor it and, and yeah sure as you can see now with rhubarb with strawberries you name it but london gin is, is a particular type it doesn't have and, and coincidentally it doesn't london. have to be london no. anymore yeah. i mean obviously it originated but it just needs to be juniper and particularly distilled in a, in a, in a way okay yeah. wow yeah that's always it's always been a question in my mind like yeah. why, why is it London dry gin and it comes from I don't know anyway. Holland or <laughs> yeah that's well uh, you got to be careful actually when you talk about the, the history of gin because actually um, again if you want to know an anecdote uh, the the Dutch created the gin first you know I mean you know cre- all, all credit to and it's Geneve which is the yeah. Dutch for gin and in fact, the only reason it even came to Britain was because 
at that time we were also having, as I mentioned earlier, we were mm. in quite a lot of battles with the, the Dutch and in Morden. And our British soldiers noticed that the Dutch were particularly, uh, particularly strong uh, and brave soldiers. And, and the reason they found out afterwards was because they had a glass of gin every morning, which is where the expression Dutch courage comes from. It's basically drinking. Based on gin. <laughs> and so the Brit, you know, the, the, our soldiers, they say, hang on, we want some of that. And oh, cool. couldn't say Geneva, so they called it gin. Geneva, wow. <laughs> Interesting. But it's... Like your product is, it's quite high standard. Yeah. I guess it's a, it's a high standard gin. It's not, and it's not a cheap gin if you if you like no, it's like a Gordon's. Premium, yeah. That's why um, your target market is probably people that appreciate the product yeah. more than more than buying alcohol mm -hmm. for the alcohol. Um, is that that's your kind of niche then? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yes, it is. Um, what you find in most categories of uh, when people will go whatever business whatever segment category brand you'll find that people start to realize that value is in premiumization uh, and gin has gone through that so you've got your standards mm. and you're seeing more and more premium you're hearing craft gins you know, da, 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 da. Uh, and it was just that we wanted to be at the end where we can make a, a better margin um, and it wasn't all about volume so you've got your gordons you've got your own label yeah. that's all volume um, but we so we, we went for that we also recognize that in pretty much every category you know if you look at the social diffusion curve a bit of marketing theory here you know you've got your innovators your early adopters and again the mm. same thing happens in the gym market you know but it happens almost the other way around that you've got your mass market and then the the innovators and early adopters then start to look for something new and we call them explorers Uh, and they're looking for, in this case, gin, a gin with a story, with a heritage, something different. And if it delivers on product quality, then they'll pay a bit more for it. And that's who we're going for. So we're very much at the front end of that. Premium market. Ex premium market, explorers. And what I tell people is it's not a, it's not a demographic, it's an attitude. So it's people who are open to exploring, who are interested You know, because there's a decent story behind the brand, and as a consequence, they're willing to pay a little bit more for it. I guess that I mean that's it's quite big right now. Is I mean people going for the premium product and kind of seeing a different. I mean you see it with coffee and mm -hmm. wine, Absolutely. and with everything. I mean gin's quite a booming market, and I think people used to, which is people used to drink it just for the fact that it was mm -hmm. gin. But it's nice to hear that it's coming. It's like it's it's becoming a premium product it is I think the, there's a lot of people that are asking when, when the bubble's going to burst because it's yeah, uh, yeah, it it's is. only really in the last I don't know five to ten years that it's accelerated and certainly in the last five years it's growing exponentially yeah um, uh, yeah it's going to be interesting to see where that one where goes where it goes yeah, yeah because it, it doesn't seem like it's going down in my flat for instance they <laughs> buy gin on a weekly basis I guess yeah well well It used to be an old people's drink, didn't it? You know, yeah. You used to sort of, you know, parents and your grandparents, you know, the Queen Mum in the old days, you know, bless her, you know, our, bless her socks. I mean, she's drink. I think, you know, that's changing. What I think, what I'm seeing um, in the drinks industry is that more and more of people of your age are actually not drinking at all. Uh, and there's been a huge, um, I think it's one in four have said, you know, people of legal drinking age, sort of 18 to 20 are saying they don't drink or they, they don't, you know, they don't drink regularly. Whereas once upon a time, or maybe even more than that now. So that's why you're going to yeah. see a lot more low alcohol, no alcohol alcohols coming into the market. Well, that's why premium products, I think, are the way to go as yeah. well. Um, as well, the, the, I mean, the 
prices for minimum pricing we're doing a lot of that uh yeah, in, okay. our, in our year and that that's kind of affected that i think in a in a big way as well so i think premium premium products are the the way to go because people will still be buying that the correlation is is we talked about international mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the world it's changing so more and more people are coming into a degree of affluence the more, more so as more you know by sheer numbers as people start to become more affluent they have more disposable income there's a natural transition to want something which is more premium i think one of the biggest shifts i've seen in my career is once upon a time premium came with import so if you imported a product that had an automatic premiumness about it that has changed completely. A lot of local products can premium are, are premium and are now becoming exports. So if you look at in the whiskey business, for example, Japanese malts, you know, some of the best whiskies in the world are Japanese. So the, that is the, the fundamental changes. Sorry, the, the, the driver will always be the same. People coming into disposable income through affluence. Uh, the fundamental change is that premium doesn't necessarily have a designated which is import or uh, it's it it's, it has to stand on its own as a premium brand with with the right credentials yeah that's a great way to go <laughs> interesting interesting way to put it well um and then do you have any plans for like the next the next step of the company is there anything is that the cocktail being bottled or well, again, it, having now got into the archives of it, I mean, it's the East India Company. Um, why they we explored why they talked about gin, but actually, if you think about it, the, the one drink that they should be in is rum. I mean, every single ship that went um, that left Britain had a rum. You know, they had their barrels of rum, uh, and I don't know if you've ever watched Pirates of the Caribbean. Sure, <laughs> but, but there's there's one part in there where Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow is talking to. <laughs> someone who's comp who, who is from the British East India Company and actually if you look at Disney branded merchandise for the Caribbean it's all over the place so you know why aren't we uh, so we need to be in rum and that's and rum is, gr rum is well, great rum is great yeah. it's good great quality drink. rum also for cocktails yeah, yeah it's a great drink to put into your cocktails <laughs> there's a lot of rubbish rum out there but there's, there some, there's some good rum out there so rum yeah I'd love as I said to, to bottle the G&T um, and there are other things if you again if you go around and look at the islands that the East India Company we're in each one of those has a local drink of you know toddy iraqi some sort of fermented drink you know it's this let's put it this way there is uh, there is no end of good ideas it's choosing those ideas you can make money from that's the challenge yeah and using your passion to kind of follow through on that because <laughs> yeah kind of helps yeah <laughs> <laughs> Great, I think um, that's all the questions okay. I have. Um, if you want to say something else no, about the Indian company, very much. thank you so much. That was, that was, that was very interesting. Thank okay. you, thank Good you, Stephen. Stuff. Cheers. So you've got some marketing theory there as well. I did, that's <laughs> <laughs>